Welcome to Logistics with Purpose, presented by Vector Global Logistics in partnership with Supply Chain Now. We spotlight and celebrate organizations who are dedicated to creating a positive impact. Join us for this behind-the-scenes glimpse of the origin stories, change-making progress, and future plans of organizations who are actively making a difference. Our goal isn't just to entertain you, but to inspire you to go out and change the world. And now, here's today's episode of Logistics with Purpose. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Logistics with Purpose. I'm your host, Christy Porter of Vector Global Logistics, and today co-hosting with me is my fabulous team member, Monica Roche. Moni, how are you today? Hi, Christy. Doing great. How about you? I am doing well and excited for this conversation. Um, Our guest has been a longtime friend of Vector and of mine personally. We were able to work together in multiple ways, so I am thrilled to have him on here, and we've been chasing him down to have this conversation for a long time, so we're excited to hear more about Adili and Serve International. So for those of you not aware, Adili Key is the Chief Operations and Development Officer at Serve International, so welcome, Adili. We're so glad you're here. Thank you. Thank you. And I'll say Asante, which is thank you in my language. I'm really honored to be here today. Thank you. Hi, Adili. Thanks for being here with us today. So to start us off, uh, can you tell us a little about where you grew up and your childhood? Yes. Uh, so I'm from the motherland. I'm from Kenya, Africa. That's in the eastern part of Africa. Uh, been in America for a little bit over 13 years. And uh, growing up in Kenya was awesome. You know, my childhood was great. Um, but there are things as a young boy that shaped me uh, in the region I grew up. I was right on the border of Kenya and South Sudan in the early 90s during the war, uh, the civil war in Sudan or South Sudan now. And during that time, uh, one of my first memories as a young boy was seeing thousands of kids my age uh, who had escaped the war. And they had walked for miles, uh, days for most of them, uh, just to find a place of peace, a place of rest. And so they ended up in my community right in the middle of the desert in a place called Lokichogio. And so one of my first memories as a young boy is this kids who had walked for days uh, trying to survive and they walk in and it really stuck to me from that day uh, that I knew that I had to do something with my life. That's fantastic. Um, you So you talked about, I think, pretty common images that we're used to in the U.S., the war-torn, the um, children in need, and that's a lot of the perspective that we get here in the U.S. However, you also talked about loving it, and it was great growing up there. So what are we, what's the missing piece, especially for those of us here in the U.S. who kind of only get a one-sided view of growing up and living in Africa? What do you want to tell us about Kenya and about growing up there? What misconceptions and what would you, what are the sides that we need to know in addition to that? Uh, Africa is a beautiful continent. Kenya is a beautiful place. It's a beautiful country. Uh, you know, I think that this misconcept around the world about just Africa and what Africa looks like, uh, especially from uh, what we see on TV and what is kind of sold, uh, but it's beautiful. And even growing up in the hardships of Africa, you know, as a young kid, there's pain and there's everything that you see around you, but there's also hope. You know, you see that hope passed down through your family, through the stories and uh, the idea of we want to build a better country, a better continent, you know, resonates across the hearts and lives of every African. So, you know, one thing I love to change in my lifetime is the image of Africa in terms of, you know, the people there, the most hardworking people. And I'm biased. I'm from there. So 
these people <laughs> put time, you know, they're not, you know, some of us live in some of the hardest continents, but they, they do their best to make, you know, to take what they have and make the best out of it. So that is the Africa I grew up in. Yeah, me too. And I love that you talk about hope and about the people specifically. Mm-hmm. So yes. going back to that, what is a lesson or two that you learned during your childhood uh, that you have carried with you into your life work until now? So as a young boy, I had a great mom, great family, great mom and dad, uh, but life was hard. We didn't have all the items, all the things that we have in the United States. Uh, life was tough as a young boy. And uh, so we were all expected to play a role in providing for the family. And that's cultural. I know it's very different in America. You know, the story I'm about to tell you might sound like child labor in America, but looking back is just part of our life. And so growing up, one of my responsibilities was to go out and sell pastry cakes. Uh, we, we call them cakes, but they're pastries. And I used to go out in the neighborhood uh, from 5 p.m. when I got back from school, door to door selling cakes. And sometimes business was not good. So I came back home with two out of the 42 uh, cakes I had or pastries I had. And uh, my mom would welcome, welcome me back, thank me for all I'm doing, congratulate me for selling 40 pieces. But she did something that really shaped me. She sent me back every single night to sell the remaining two, remaining three. And uh, as a young man, you don't want to go back at 7, 8 p.m. back on the you know, community to do this, but it taught me never to give up. You know, my mom, I could come back and say, I didn't see anybody in the neighborhood. Nobody's buying, the economy's bad. <laughs> you know, my mom looked at that as an opportunity to go back and sell those two cakes. And so it really taught me that. So As a young man, I had a chance to really learn, connect with people. But the idea that you never give up was really, you know, that was really for my parents. Yeah. How many brothers and sisters do you have? That, that's a question every African will, will answer different. So okay. on the books, I'll say, I, you know, we're four of us, uh, four okay. boys. Uh, but my home, you know, we had maybe 15, 16 people. You know, we shared a bed. Uh, my brothers and I and everybody else were in this small bed facing different sides. And so uh, to, to, to this day, I sleep like so straight. People think I'm dead when I go to sleep, <laughs> but I shared the bed with so many people that you don't move around, you know, you get kicked for moving around. So uh, that's that, you know, to answer your question, I don't really know the answer. We had 20 people in our house at some t- at times. Fantastic. And how old were you when you were out uh, selling cakes? Oh, I started at, first we tried to sell popsicles, you know, it's like, you know, and it was hard because it's so hot. So they melt like a minute after you leave the house. But I was, I was selling items on the streets since I was in third grade, wow. you know, and this was, you know, selling popsicles, sold pastries, sold poultry, chicken. You know, we wow. had to uh, take chicken. We had a, about a hundred we took, took care of them, uh, you know, and we had to do everything by hand take all the feathers in hot water, wow. uh, cut them open, put them on my bicycle, which was one bicycle was like for a grown up and ride it to every center I could find and sell it. And so, wow. you know, my whole experience and then by the time I was in high school and I graduated, uh, my first business was vacuum cleaning. We all, I, I had the only vacuum cleaner in our <laughs> whole area. Oh, so wow. I started a business called Vac, uh, Be Clean Cleaners, which I cleaned uh, people's carpets. So I got a lot of experience of work from an yeah. early age. 
Yes. Okay. So now I'm curious from a logistics perspective about this. So how did you, where did these items come from? And did you just mark them up? And like, you got the, for example, you're actually plucking chickens and things, but like the cakes and the popsicles, are you just buying those from the store and then marking them up and walking them around the neighborhood? What did that look like? Oh, you know, we're big about owning the platform, not owning the app. Somebody's going to get what I'm talking about. So <laughs> we had groups of Americans coming in and yes. uh, they're teaching us English, teaching us math, but also they taught us how to bake. And so my mom learned skills of baking. And so she made what we called cakes. And that's why I corrected the same pastry. Yeah. Because for most Americans, they were not cakes. But right. for us, they were sweeter than bread. So they were cakes. Yeah. And so she <laughs> baked cakes. And we went door to door. And so that's how we did cakes for popsicles. We just mixed up juice and water. And uh, we didn't even have a fridge or freezer. So we rented one and we put them in. I picked them up in the morning and went door to door with a tiny cooler. And for the chicken, you buy chicken at, you know, you know, two days old and you keep them for about five, six weeks, feeding them all this food. And then you, you know, you go around selling them. You have no fridge. So once you slaughter the chicken, you have less than four hours to sell it. Yeah, wow. yeah, very quick. That's incredible. And yeah, it's funny, like now full circle, because if you were in that business here in the United States, you'd probably be doing well because now everybody wants the homemade and local and gourmet popsicles are a big business. <laughs> I know, I know, you know, I've been, you know, thanks to my parents, I, I had to, I learned early, you know, about uh, working hard. Uh, we had no option really. But uh, again, this is just not my story. In fact, my story is very basic compared to the lives of many kids or many children in in Africa. So I'm just fortunate to have started early uh, being part of helping our community. Yeah. Yeah. Adili, sorry. Now I have tons of questions. (laughs) (laughs) Probably you're a great salesman. But before we jumped into your career, I'd like to ask you, so how was it that that you grew up in Kenya and learned all of these skills and then you end up in the United States? Like, uh, Yeah, so uh, thanks to uh, organizations sending, sending books to Africa, I started learning how to read early. Um, and I love reading. I spend, people buy shoes, I spend my money on books. I am a big reader. Thanks to oh. books that were donated uh, from American organizations to our community. And so I read books like Hardy Boys and Nancy Drew, and probably our generation does not know those books, but there are <laughs> books that had probably been retired in America. And uh, it was just, there was no TV, nothing. So I remember my first time watching the TV. So this books were everything to me. Mm-hmm. And uh, through that, I learned the English language. I learned how to pronounce things a little bit different. So when we had American teams, I helped them uh, translate to the community. And so through that effort, I was a- able to get an opportunity to come to Atlanta uh, through groups coming, mission teams, churches, I worked with them and helped them be able to share what, you know, in the community. And that really helped me get a lot of ne- network a lot to be able to come to America. Wow. That is incredible. Awesome. Yeah. Um, and so any good book recommendations now? Are you reading anything good we should know about? Yes. Uh, I, I love a lot of history books. So I'm reading a book. And if I can show you what I'm reading right now, I, I'm a book collector. I collect books. I buy books from 1800 on eBay. Oh, wow. People don't know the value. This is yeah. not an 1800 book, but this is this is my book. What I'm reading right now, Nikola Ooh. Tesla, uh, yes. and uh, it's just uh, it's just an awesome story. Just learning from experience of his life, his perspective on the world, 
and getting to see what he talked about a reality today. So uh, yeah, I, I pick up a lot of books. And uh, one of the questions I ask every leader when I meet them is what book are you reading? It oh, saves wow. me from buying books that yes. are not worth my time. So that's something <laughs> I learned early in life. I love that. And I that's a beautiful book. I've switched to Kindle on everything. So I miss yeah. kind of the hardback feel of it, but I like not having <laughs> to take up space. <laughs> Yes, it's, I, I like it. I, you know, I'm one of those old school people. I love to have a house with books around me. Yeah. Um, and so, um, yeah, I am so sorry. There's a bee right here going no, around me. Totally sure. fine. So oh, apologize right. about that. <laughs> um, thank you for sharing that. That's incredible. Um, I knew you had a fascinating uh, early childhood, but thank you. I didn't know about the, um, all the sales and things, which perfectly set you up for your future career in fundraising as well. So I'd love to hear, tell everyone about, so we'll talk about serve in just a second, but you've also done some really amazing things leading up to serve. So tell us kind of you're here in the U S and then how did you get between, you know, getting off the plane and landing at serve? Yeah, it's, it's great. So I left after I, you know, my business was doing well in Kenya, vacuum and carpets. I ended up becoming a teacher mm. and I taught third and fourth grade uh, in Kenya and ended up, you know, fast forward, end up in, in the United States. I ended up uh, taking a leadership class through the Atlanta dream center Mm-hmm. Uh, and I did that and through that learned so much, it was a shock getting to America and, uh, you know, you, you growing up in a desert, growing up in Kenya, then showing up in the country, yeah. uh, in a place like Atlanta, it was for sure a cultural shock to me. Uh, but through that time, I ended up, uh, some of the jobs that I've been able to do that have been awesome. Uh, one was a catering, uh, company that I worked for. So I got to travel, uh, all across America, working some of the major of sporting events and 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 got to serve some really famous people. I always say I don't think it was the quality of my work is the fact that I had no idea I was serving celebrities. <laughs> and so um, you know I remember hanging out with Jonas Brothers. I had no idea who they were. Wow. You know I have I can tell you Elton John. Oh uh, wow so I've served yeah my list is endless. So uh travel doing that and it was an amazing experience that gave me a great perspective of what America looked like people were different so diverse you know New York and Atlanta Mm -hmm. it's it's very different and I enjoyed that so once I got done uh, doing that I started uh, I became a mission director for the Atlanta Dream Center in Atlanta Georgia right here and so what that looked like is that we had all these volunteer groups from around America that came to Atlanta and my role was to engage them in community service and ministry in Atlanta. So we worked with the community, with the city of Atlanta, and we got to do things like just cleaning up the city, uh, working with homelessness. And that was a great experience. After that, I got promoted in the same uh, uh, place, Atlanta Dream Center, to become the uh, chief operating officer. And my responsibility was to make sure all of the 62 employees uh, were, you know, had a clear goals. And, uh, and that was great because we got to do so much. We had amazing uh, people on that team. Uh, one of the areas we worked in was rescuing women out of human trafficking. And uh, I think just looking back, that's, that's something I'm still very passionate about. And very, when I look back, I have some of the best memories working and doing that. Yes, that's how we met. And it was, um, it's still an amazing organization. And uh, yeah, I love the work that, that uh, Atlanta Dream Center is still doing and that you set up to help them with and everything. But I'd love to circle back for just a second to 
your teaching career, teaching third and fourth grade, that's a fun age, but I'm also curious, there are probably lessons from that you learned as a teacher that I know you worked for a while at Atlanta Reading Center with the kids programs and things, but I'm curious also if some of the lessons you learned as being a teacher also translated into working with adults. <laughs> Here, here's the big thing about being a teacher. You know, one thing that I, I, I don't think I can be a teacher again, I'll say that. And here's why. Teachers are oh. the most... These people give a hundred. Yeah. I cannot let anybody in my classroom fail. And I used to carry that pressure home with me. Mm. Like if there's a student who's not good at math, I just don't understand that you're not good. I want you to be the best at math, the best at science. And so when I look back at my time being a teacher, I, I just was so all in with those kids. And my kids now are great. They, they're all in high school doing amazing things. Um, and so coming to America, I think the same concept of being a teacher is what I do with my employees. I, everything we work on and my team we work on, I just, I'm all committed in what we do. And so I still take the lessons I learned as a teacher that, uh, you know, you got to take care of your employees, your staff, your team, mm -hmm. you know, to win, you got to make sure everybody's involved. Everybody understands what we're doing. And so uh, that's kind of one of the things I learned um, as a teacher. Yeah, makes perfect sense. Wow. And I, I'm also sure that you have to make sure that they also share the passion and they love what they're doing. So, well, here as a vector, we have, well, we have the pleasure of partnering with you guys of CERB since 2013. And we just love what you do. We're huge fans of your work and it's very satisfying to be like contributing a little bit to your mission. So for those who are not familiar with your organization, can you tell everyone about the need for what you do and how SERP came to be? Yeah, first of all, I, I want to correct, and I hate to do this, but Vector is playing a big role, not a little role. The reason I say that is even if somebody giving a dollar, a million dollars, we're not talking about the value of money. We're talking about saving lives. I think the concept of a lot of organizations and what they do is just a good deed. Mm -hmm. uh, serving a national, what we do, we focus on life-saving food. We're not giving somebody a snack. Uh, this is a life-saving meal. And so Vector Global Logistics Partnership with Serve has been able to save life. You know, if I look at the partnership, I don't see it as, oh, we just donated food in Africa or around the world. No, we saved lives. And that might be hard for a lot of people to understand because in America, we have so much. Mm -hmm. uh, my kids this morning, we had, uh, you know, they were looking at breakfast. We have so many cereal, like so much cereal, <laughs> you know, you have to choose from. <laughs> the people we're serving, they have no choices. This is it. This is a life-saving meal. So Vector Global has played a big role in saving lives. So our organization uh, is just thankful to be able to partner with you guys and uh, just the amazing impact that has happened throughout the years. So thank you. Thanks to you, Adelian. And this is very touching. It, it, thanks, thanks to you. I have no words. And we're very happy to, to be able to help. And But tell us more about how you do these uh, life-saving meals. Uh, let the people know exactly how SERP can change the life of these people that need you most. Yeah, so I, I confirmed the statistics this morning because I know them, but I didn't want to come up here and just make up information. <laughs> and and, and this, is, this, is, this is crazy that in 2022, today, this one day, 24,000 people are going to die because of lack of food. Today, this is in 2022. We are building metaverse. We're building yeah. uh, artificial intelligence. We have so much money that we don't know what to do with. But people are still 
dying from hunger. This year, I think the exact numbers are 9 million, estimated 9 million people will die because of lack of food, because of hunger. And so Serving International is focused on making sure that that doesn't happen. We'd love to get that number to zero. Mm-hmm. Um, and we believe, I, I, sometimes I'm honestly, I'm almost embarrassed to tell people what I do. In 2022, there shouldn't be an organization focused on feeding people around the world. This should be something that we are all engaged in. There's great organizations, uh, Feed the Hungry, Convoy of Hope. It's not just serving a national. The mm-hmm. fact that this is still happening, that people do not see the need for this, to me, is mind-blowing. Mm-hmm. When you look at these numbers, to a lot of people, they're just numbers, 9 million people. What does that mean? Well, Adili, who grew up in Kenya, knows they're just not numbers. They're people. I would have been one of those statistics. And so that's why I'm very passionate about this. This is not some number we can throw around there. This is real people, real humans. And I would be one of those numbers if my life had not been transformed by the goodness and, of God and other people. So that's why I'm passionate. So serving a national focus on that. Our goal is to make sure zero people have to die from hunger mm-hmm. in this time, uh, 2022. Yeah. Yeah. And can you talk a little bit about um, why, I mean, you mentioned it a little bit, but there are lots of great organizations, as you said, and there are people handling water, medicine, all kinds of needed aspects. So why, um, if you want to tell us a little bit about how Steve got started and and why food is your focus area, even before getting on here, we were talking about, you know, what's going on in Ukraine and how to fix these issues. And you said, food is our thing. We are good at food. That's where we stay in our lane. So talk a little bit more about why food instead of some of these other issues and kind of the found Steve founding the organization. Yeah, we have a great founder and uh, his background is business. And, and this is really important to know because I think a lot of people, uh, feel like they don't qualify because they're in business or other industries that are far away from nonprofit. Uh, but Steve, our founder, is a businessman who uh, you know, felt a calling from God to be able to make a difference in the world. And he, uh, he was on a trip in Venezuela. And while he was there, he felt called to come back and make a difference and feed orphans around the world, feed children around the world. And he did not know how to start that. He's great at businesses. But he knew that he had to do something. And it's always a challenge for me. Everybody can do something. And he's one of the few people that decided to take that calling from a moment on a podcast or, or a preacher on, on stage to an action. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what he did. And through his, you know, him taking that action as of last year, Serve has already done over 27 million meals around the world. And uh, it's taken a lot. It's taken work. It's taken commitment. Uh, but that's what's unique about Steve. He's not a pastor. He's not some guy who just wanted to start a nonprofit. He's a businessman that could not sit back down and see what was happening around the world and be okay with it. And that's my hope. My hope is that we can all see that and say we can all play a role in, in making a difference. So that's the history and foundation of Serve yeah. was started like that. And now it's grown to more of a global organization where uh, we're in Afghanistan, we're in Jordan, uh, we've delivered in Cuba, uh, we're in Kenya and South Sudan and other areas. This is just because of one man saying yes to the calling. Yeah, fantastic. Well, speaking of roles, let's talk a little bit more about your role um, at Serve. What are you doing specifically there on the team? And tell us about some of the, the favorite parts of your job. So I have, a, a, a you know, my, my role is as chief development. I came in as a fundraiser without any experience. Uh, so I, I never, apart from selling cakes yeah. and pastries, <laughs> that was the only fundraising I ever did. 
uh, but I came into this role as a, as a fundraiser. And the reason this is important is because I got to a point in life, I went back home for Christmas. And when I went to Kenya, I, I saw that the people that I grew up with were still suffering in the same level I, you know, that they, we were suffering in the 90s. And so I came back excited about making a difference. And I had nothing. All I have is passion, excitement. And so the only role possible was development. Mm-hmm. And so I, I jumped in this role and I traveled around every single city I could find, any meeting, any church, any place to share what was happening around the world. So that's the development side of what I do. It's really raising awareness. We don't want to ask you to give. We want you to see the need and say, I want to partner with Serving the National. That's how I feel development is done. If you do a good job in development, you'll never have to raise money. And that's, that's the goal. I'm not there yet. But my goal is never to raise money, is to get you to become a partner of what we're doing. So that's the development side. The other side of it is the operation. This is what I'm excited about. I know a big percentage of the people watching this, listening to this, they work in operations, logistics. And what that is, is serve is focused on getting food to the most complex regions around the world. The idea is there's no food problem in the world. We have so much food. I worked for a rest, mm-hmm. I told you, catering company. Yeah. There is a supply issue with food. If you eat pizza and you want to get it to Africa, there's no way to do that. Mm-hmm. And that's where serve comes in. Now we don't deliver pizza, but it's, <laughs> it's, it's close. It's, it's really that good. So, yep. So Adili, I would like to just make a quick break to say congratulations to you for what you're doing, for all of your passion and for really caring because I can tell like when you really care about something, when you feel it, when you're passionate about it, that's how you can share it. And that's how you can get people to really understand and to really commit and share that feeling. Mm-hmm. And that's what's making the difference. And because of your passion and your background and all of your efforts and truly caring about the difference, that's why you are really good at your job. Yeah, so you. congratulations. And thanks again for sharing all of this with us because it's very touching. It's very important. And as you say, everyone can make the difference. It doesn't matter if you have a lot of experience or not, or if you have a business, or if you are in charity, everyone, every single one of us can do something different in our community. So please make the difference. And well, going back to to the statistics that you mentioned, 9 million people is, it's just unbelievable at this time in this year, but there are also good things like the results that SERP is making. So can you tell us what are some of the really remarkable results and please share some of, of a couple of success stories? Yeah. And, and and again, thank you very much. I'm so honored. I feel like I'm getting honored by superstars. You guys do logistics. <laughs> you guys are the stars. So I feel like I'm getting there, you know, I'm trying to be <laughs> Try to be in the same table with you guys, but uh, I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, yeah. So one of the greatest victory is when you see data on children dying in East Africa, most of the data is in the regions we serve. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have villages that we collect data. We have a doctor on staff. So we go to this communities every week, sometimes every day. And uh, after collecting data, there was numbers of years, some of the villages we served had 18 children die from hunger, you know, and that was common. And I believe in 2019, we made a, a, a goal to get that number to zero. And the year 2021, uh, nine of those villages had zero death from hunger. Wow. And, you know, if I would retire today, if I stopped doing this, 
that was probably my proudest moment for our team. We have an amazing team that works in international, internationally. We have a great local team here, but everybody came together towards that goal uh, and made sure that every kid received meals uh, consistently. And so the zero uh, death from hunger was our biggest achievement as, a, as an organization. Um, some of the achievements we've been able to do is if you go back in 2018, serve what done only was doing about 1.2 million meals uh, a year. Uh, in 2021, we were able to do 7 million meals uh, a year. So there's massive growth that has happened. Now, when I say those numbers, it's just a number, but every number is, is, is a person that's life has been changed from that meal. And that's very important because when you hear 1.2 to 7 million, a lot of people is like, congratulations, sir. Great job. You guys are working hard. Yes, that's true. And we have an amazing team. But those are lives that have been saved. Those are hundreds of people, thousands of people that now have a future, have hope. And these are the people like Esther in a village who's, who's, who, who had no food and now they have food and their children are going to school. Uh, these are people in Afghanistan and Jordan that have hope now and their kids are going to school and getting an education the next doctors, the next lawyers of the world. And so we are so proud to be play a small part in, in, in that world of helping people have hope, uh, you know, and, and that's how we feel. You know, we are all very uh, sold to making this happen. Yeah, and that, uh, that's what you do. You deliver hope and you deliver life. So mm-hmm. it's, it's not just a number and these are huge wins because it's Thank lives. Yeah. And I'm going to the lessons learned. I know that you produce the lentil blend that you serve. So this can be tough. <laughs> Why do you go that route rather than buying a product that already existed? And what challenges did you encounter in this process? Now, you, you just got me happy. This one part, I can <laughs> smile all day. And I'll be honest with you, this is controversial at this point. It's very early in the stage to a point. It, it's a little bit controversial. But here is the aspect. I, I grew up in Kenya. I got food that was donated, which was great. But most of this food is manufactured at these big companies. If you look at the statistics about in Ethiopia last year, they spent about $429 million. This is food that was manufactured at these big corporate companies that was delivered to Ethiopia. And I've been a recipient of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I went to school, we had a free lunch program. So I am not here to say that plan does not work. It is great. I ate through it. It's amazing. but. The more we keep on investing in these big manufacturing companies that produces food, we are missing an opportunity to invest in the women of the community, the moms, the, com- the families. And so what Serve has done, we have been able to get a, a fortified lentil blend, a licensed fortified lentil blend. It takes years to do this. And we're able to produce it in country sometimes. And so what this looks like, instead of us wiring funds to a big manufacturer that will produce this food and ship it or give it away, we send this money directly to women who uh, produce the lentils, the rice, uh, all the ingredients we need to be able to manufacture this food. And Serving a National does not oversee the process in terms of saying, now we've given you money, we want to help you use this money. Women in Africa are smart. They know what to do with this money. And to show the impact of that, they today have sent their kids to high school, college, the same women we're talking about. This is a group of 600 women in a village of Obaga. So I'm passionate about the idea that if we can start investing in communities, we can end poverty. We can end hunger. And we cannot continue doing what we've been doing for years. We have to find a way 
to invest in the people who live there every single day. And that's also a shift, right? Because when I came to your office several years back, you were producing it here in the U.S. and then sending it over. So now in the last couple of years, it sounds like you've made that shift. Yes. And we still do shit. We still produce it in America. So there's two, okay. there's two differences here. There's relief effort and there's long-term sustainability. Got it. Okay. So what is happening in Ukraine right now is relief effort. And if anybody watching me, please do something, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that's where we call Vector Global. We say, hey, we have a container of food manufactured here. We needed to get to Ukraine and we take care of that. And that's still a big portion of what we do. Right. But if you're going to be in Ukraine for five years or you're going to be in Ethiopia or South Sudan for five years, you have to find a way to support the local economy, support the lo- local people. So this this year already, we produced three million meals as of, of now. This is meals that we're going to call Vector and say, hey, Vector, we got to get this to this country and they're going to help us. So we're not away from that. That's relief. When somebody's swimming, they don't need to learn how to, uh, you know, if they're sinking, they don't need to learn how to swim. Right. Give them a life jacket. We give them life jackets. But if we're there for a long term and there's a lake, teach them how to swim. And so that's what we're also passionate about. It's a great analogy. Um, and speaking of working both domestically and internationally, I know you guys also work a lot here in Georgia. You've expanded operations around the world. Um, have you been surprised at any issues that you've dealt with here working in the U.S. versus maybe working internationally? Something that surprised you on obstacles or challenges or even opportunities? Yeah, I, I think for one, COVID really was an eye opener. You know, um, for us, we continue to support our community. We felt that people needed us more during this time than any other time in history. And so we really um, expanded our local uh, food uh, distribution. And I remember we have this idea of what somebody who needs food looks like. Mm-hmm. They don't wear a sports jacket like me. And when COVID happened, we had some of the nicest cars you could ever imagine in mm-hmm. line. We had over 400 cars in our parking lot. Uh, we had our masks, we had our gloves. We were all you know, set up. I, I even had a hazmat suit. Now, maybe that was extra, but we had no idea what COVID was yeah. at that time. Yep. And when cars came around, we asked them to open, you know, uh, and we put a we put a box there, no connection. But one thing that surprised me was the the people, the cars that were in line. Mm-hmm. You know, these were normal people who, because of COVID, had lost everything, mm-hmm. lost their jobs, and in a matter of two three weeks, they were in line. I'm never gonna forget this one story. I was doing a food distribution outside our center. It was at a at a church in our community, and this lady was uh, I was going around saying hi to everybody because of distance. I was just kind of waving. And this one lady saw me and she put her head down and I was wondering what the problem is. So I went up to her and I realized it was somebody I know. And she was so embarrassed to be in line to get a food box because she was a big donor of serving a national. And she went ahead to explain to me and I said, hey, get a box, drive across because she didn't want everybody to see her. But that's the reality of what COVID and, and other things have done to our community. It's time for us to start looking at uh, at the the, the uh, people as people and not classifying people as this is a needy person, you know. And we see this across America, and so that's what was really uh, different for me this time. It was yeah. everybody was in need. Yeah, yeah. And and talking about the pandemic, you are right; it has affected a lot of people. But how has it affected, sir? What kind of pivots did you have to make? So we had uh, two days of panic. You know, we had all these events planned out. We had a big band. I'm not going to put their name out there, but we had a band um, that was going to do this big event for us. Most of our fundraising now as a developer 
was based on events. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then COVID hits and you start getting the cancellations every day. Hey, we, we can't host this. And that was, we, we had a moment of shock, but we realized at that point, if we're going to go down, uh, we were going to do it doing what we love to do best. And I think that was a difference. A lot of people shut their doors and there was need for that. We did not know what COVID was, but Serve decided to go out in style. And so we expanded our local uh, food distribution. We expanded our international distribution. We offered food to other organizations because all of our food is manufactured. Most of our food in Africa is manufactured locally. Mm -hmm. So we had food in our warehouse. And so we were able to partner with major organizations in food distribution. And what happened is like, because we had all these partnerships, the more we gave, the more people donated. It was weird. It's like, we cannot keep up with the momentum (laughs) of doing good. The more you give, it just grew. And so serve, that's where the growth comes from almost 1.2 to 7 million meals is the fact that people saw what we were doing and they parted with us and we expanded uh, during that time. Wow. It's a a circle. Yeah. Welcome. Yes. Yes. And speaking of giving, I was poking around your website the other day because um, I hadn't been on there in a while. And I saw that you've started uh, accepting cryptocurrency, which I do not understand. <laughs> so I just found it so interesting. And you're probably way ahead of a lot of nonprofits by starting to take cryptocurrency as donations. So what what was the decision in that and what has your experience been so far? So uh yeah, we always we, we understand like right now, and I, and I again I, I took this data before coming live. Yeah, we have two trillion in cryptocurrency right now circulating. Uh-huh. Wow. That's two trillion dollars out uh-huh. there. Okay. And the reality is I think a lot of times as organizations, especially nonprofit. It's hard for us to accept change and see yes. change. Now, the good thing about Serve, we're so small that we can jump on new things right away. We are, mm. we are risk takers. I tell people the, the reason we, we serve in the areas we serve, we're risk takers. Mm. And so when we realized there's $2 trillion out there in cryptocurrency, we thought there's an opportunity for the next generation givers. Mm. So what we're setting up for is the next generation. Now, the current generation, they go to our website. They Sometimes I give have people not happy with us that we do that. They're like, what is this crypto stuff? <laughs> you know, but the reality is that you have to prepare for the next generation of give givers. Wow. Uh, and looking at the year 2020, there was $2 trillion worth of American currency in circulation. Now we have $2 trillion worth of cryptocurrency in circulation. Now, most people hold crypto as an investment. Mm-hmm. And this is where we're, 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 we're banking for the future in hopes that as it continue to expand, as this becomes normal, people will start using this as a currency of exchange. Mm. And that's where, sorry, and we've already got donations through this. Just because mm. we are one of the first people in, uh, we've got donations through this. But at this point, we are cashing out the donations. What that means, your donation comes in. We have a platform called uh, a platform that comes in uh, called Given Block. It just transfers that and we get the cash. Our goal in the future is to create a wallet where you as a donor can say, I want to keep this for the next five years. So you make a donation, but more of an investment to serve for the mm-hmm. next five years. And in five years, we can, we can take that money, withdraw that money and use it for a bigger platform, for a bigger impact. So we, we're seeing small wins, uh, yeah. but again, this is new. Uh, I tell people, look, look, look at uh, uh, cryptocurrency, look at the metaverse. The metaverse is the, the new thing. I know 
everybody's looking at Facebook and they've <laughs> lost a lot of money. But the metaverse also will be a new platform. We want we, you know, if we had the funds, we want to be the first nonprofit operating in the metaverse, you know. So <laughs> there's, there's great opportunities out there. We're very small, so we're able to take big risks like this for the future. And uh, we know that the next generation, this is how they're going to communicate. Yeah. Incredible. I love the perspective. And I wish you had been my math teacher. <laughs> I might be better at it today. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I couldn't agree more because as you were mentioning, it's something new, but it, I think it's here to stay. I, I can't talk about my generation. The first time that I heard about cryptocurrency, I was like, this is strange. Like, what are they doing to the money? Yeah. What's going on? And then I started reading. I started getting more into finances courses. And now I'm actually investing in cryptos. So I can tell that probably my generation is going to keep doing this and others after us. So it's great that you're one of the first getting into this new type of market. And it's great for, I mean, it has a lot of risks, you know, but as a long term, it's it's great to see that I can tell you, hey, Adelia, I want to give Serb some money, but I want it to grow before you can use it. So I'm going to invest in you guys. So that's just oh, awesome. So thanks, Adili, for, for being here. Just quick question. How can our listeners connect with you and support Serb? And very important, what are your biggest needs at the moment? So I get this question and I have, a, I have an answer for this question every time. And my answer is always the same. You know, some people might hear our story and say, this guy's a radical, crazy people. This is not the type <laughs> of person I want to hang out with. I'm not going to trust my crypto on this guy. And, and there's some truth <laughs> in that, you know. We have missions in Afghanistan, Cuba, some places that are hard to go in, but we feel called to those areas. So my biggest thing is every time I get this question, maybe we're not your kind of partners you're looking for, but don't sit there. Don't watch this and do nothing. Mm -hmm. With the amount of people, 9 million people, uh, you know, that's the estimated people are going to die from hunger this year. Find somebody, these great organizations. I look up to Convoy of Hope, Feed the Hungry. These guys are the tier one of what we do. We're very small in this space, but don't say that you didn't get an opportunity to do something and make a difference in somebody's life. We're serving a national. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. We're on LinkedIn. Uh, we're on all those platforms, but I really don't want to sell ourselves. I want to, my hope is that you can listen to this and say, I can look up somebody in my community. There's needs here in America. Somebody's watching this saying, well, there's needs in Africa. There's needs in America. Yes, you're right. Please volunteer with your local nonprofit. Help them, support them, be a part of what they're doing. If everybody does their, does their part, we can make a difference. We can end hunger around the world. So that, that's my response to that because I believe sometimes uh, we, we, we focus so much on a serve or an organization, but the reality is you are served. Uh, you can use your influence to make a difference in your circle. Yeah, um, love that. Thank you so much. This has been fantastic. Our team, when, we, when you spoke in our staff meeting, our team loved hearing from you. It's always Fantastic. I love chatting with you via email and in person and anytime I get the opportunity. So thank you so much for sharing more about your heart and about serve and about the mission. And, you know, if you're not going to promote serve in that way, I will. So go to serve one.org, S E R V O N E.org in there. Uh, an amazing organization. We are so proud to have them in our community and so exciting to hear about all the ways that you're learning to respond. And even just, I love the fact that you're willing to take risks which is also 
um, not common in the nonprofit space. So lots of good things to come. And we're excited to um, continue to keep in touch with you and partner with you and hear about ways we can all make a difference. But yes, I love that aspect. Everybody get out there and do something. Um, so thank you so much for your time today, Adili. And thank you everyone for listening and watching. And this does it for another episode of Logistics with, with Purpose, but we will be back again soon. So be sure to hit subscribe. Thank you so much. Quahiri. Bye.